It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Journey to Success Radio. This is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm the founder of Journey to Success Radio, also creator of the Journeys to Success uh, book series, international bestseller uh, series on Amazon, and of course the world's most well-known Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor. Find out more about the show at uh, journeytosuccessradio.com. This is an exciting show because it's going to be interesting, let's say that. My guest today is Don Head. Don Head was appointed Commissioner of the Correctional Service of Canada on June 27, 2008. He began his federal public service career as a correctional officer in 1978 in the Pacific region. He's held various operational and managerial positions between 1978 and 1995. He worked in four federal penitentiaries. He has received numerous combinations and awards throughout his career, including the Governor General's Corrections Exemplary Service Medal and Bar and the Public Service Award of Excellence for Diversity and Employment Equity. Wow, that's a great award to have, especially in this day and age. Welcome to the show today, Don. Thank you very much, Tom. Great to uh, great to be here. I appreciate uh, you being on the show, and uh, mainly my idea when I uh, approached you was that uh, even in correction service, I know there are many good things happening, and let's uh, help dispel some myths, get some uh, positivity into what you're doing, because uh, my wife worked for a criminal defense lawyer for nine or ten years here in the Mississauga area, and she knows that there's... You know, there are good things going on, uh, but the public doesn't uh, talk about them. So let's talk the actual realities of the correctional environment. Uh, as I'm sure uh, you know, and probably everybody actually knows, it's not like you see on TV, and it's probably not even like it is in reality in the U.S. Is that right? No, I, that's absolutely uh, an accurate uh, statement. Um, you know, most people draw their conclusions about how uh, correctional environments work by watching uh, shows like Oz or Orange is the New Black or movies like Shawshank Redemption and people believe that that, is, that reflects the, uh, the reality in, uh, in correctional environments uh, not only in Canada but around, uh, around the world. Right, and the reality is that you've got good people and you don't treat them the way they're seen on TV. And uh, So let's talk about people because corrections is about people, not only the people that are in prison, but also the people that are serving them or in the prison or employees. So uh, really your purpose is to help turn lives around and reduce recidivism. I guess I said that right. I've said it before a few times. Uh, you're, you really don't want to be a, a warehouse for repeat offenders. My wife used to call them frequent flyers because she would often get the same people numerous times over the years. And so talk about the people because really you, your purpose, although it <laughs> would put you guys out of business maybe, is to turn lives around and reduce those people coming back to see you. Exactly, Tom. Uh, you know, uh, the, the unofficial motto that we adopted a number of years ago is changing lives, protecting Canadians. 
focusing on the uh, changing lives piece. Our staff work very hard with uh, individuals who have faced many challenges in their lives, come into conflict uh, with the law and end up uh, uh, getting a uh, custodial sentence. They may start off uh, uh, in the uh, provincial or territorial system and then uh, end up in the, uh, in the federal system. And by the time they, uh, that, uh, that we receive them and start to, uh, to work uh, with individuals, they've got a, lo- a long list of, of issues and needs uh, that have not been addressed. So things such as uh, mental health problems, substance abuse problems, violence problems, family violence problems, sexual offending uh, behaviors that haven't been addressed because uh, there's, their, their time in the provincial territorial system has been relatively short and, and the provinces and territories uh, just unfortunately are, are not necessarily resourced well mm-hmm. enough to, to address their needs, nor do the individuals stay in the provincial system uh, long enough for them to, uh, to get the kind of assistance that they need. Mind you, this isn't a plea to uh, give everybody long sentences so they come to us, <laughs> but it's really about making sure that the kinds of supports and programs are, are available to, uh, uh, to people at the earliest point that uh, those needs are identified. Amen. My wife actually has a client uh, in jail for murder. Long story, but anyway, he's going to get out soon. He said he's going to write a letter to Correction Service for basically the blessing and the saving of his life. And the kids get uh, some. The, the kids that he left behind killed his wife. Uh, get money, and uh, he said it was just an amazing. You know, it was a good experience for him. And he said, you know, really, it saved his life and his kid's life. And he he really speaks highly of the system. Let's talk about a few things that are pretty topical. Well, should be always topical. Women offenders, I don't really think about that a lot, but uh, he must have to have a different approach to a women's correctional institution than a man's. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, uh, one of the things that, uh, that we've seen uh, over the years is that the, the women offender population has been growing at a rate greater than the, the population for, for men. There's a, you know, a, a couple of reasons for that. One of them is primarily because the, the courts have seen that the Federal Corrections, Correctional Service of Canada, offers the types of uh, programs and services that the women need. And this is more than just those services or programs that address the, what, what we call the criminogenic needs, uh, the kinds of things that uh, led them to coming into conflict with the law. But it, they also address some of the issues the women have faced throughout their lives, such as uh, you know their own personal trauma. Mm-hmm. So we've actually seen cases where uh, judges have had the choice between giving a, a provincial sentence and a federal sentence, and uh, the judge has chosen to uh, give a federal sentence because of the the types of programs, the availability of programs in our facilities. Uh, and as well, we've actually seen in cases where the women themselves have asked to come to a CSC for uh, for the very same reason to get the support and assistance that that they need. And you know, we currently have uh, you know up until the, the mid 1990s, uh, there was only one federal prison for women, and that was in Kingston, which was called the prison for women. And then in the 90s, we started building regional facilities. So there are five regional women's facilities across the country, plus one facility in uh, Nikonit First Nations uh, territory down uh, mm-hmm. just south of uh, Maple Creek, Saskatchewan. That is a, uh, a healing lodge for uh, women. Wow. 
Nice. Wow. So let's talk about Aboriginal offenders. As you said, you had mentioned Northwest Territories and that area is not well funded. What are you doing? And again, just like women, you should you need to have cultural specific penitentiary or prison for Aboriginal offenders, right? Yeah, exactly. One of the most disheartening facts about our business is that um, uh, is that the number of Indigenous offenders, Aboriginal offenders, is grossly disproportionate to the representation in mainstream society. So we're, the average is about 3, 4, uh, 5 percent of the Canadian population are uh, of Indigenous uh, descent. Uh, you know, 25, 26 percent of the uh, population, the federal incarcerated population, are Indigenous uh, offenders. Wow. So uh, grossly, grossly uh, misrepresented. And, you know, there's all kinds of theories and reasons for that. But having said that, one of the things that um, that we uh, do uh, is to look at, you know, the, uh, the overall needs of those individuals and to give them a choice, a choice to either follow uh, a programming uh, approach that recognizes their cultural and spiritual needs or follow the, the, uh, the mainstream programming uh, approach. And in terms of uh, what we call the uh, traditional Aboriginal approach, uh, we would have, for example, we would employ uh, elders across the country to come in and to uh, work with the, uh, with the men and women. We have healing lodges specifically for, for Indigenous men in BC and in Alberta. We have some arrangements with some First Nations communities that provide what we call Section 81 accommodation and programming opportunities. So Ochechekasipi uh, up in uh, in Manitoba, Prince Albert Grand Council in Saskatchewan, Native Counseling Services in Alberta. Uh, so we have arrangements with uh, community organizations and communities uh, to provide space and services for Indigenous offenders. We have a number of programs that, that we offer which are specifically tailored for Indigenous offenders that uh, like I say, address their uh, spiritual and cultural needs. So although they have the choice of going to uh, either the, the mainstream or the, the Aboriginal-specific programs, the, the ones that, that are specific to, uh, to Aboriginal offenders incorporate more learnings and teachings and culture and, and have elder uh, involvement in the delivery of the, uh, the same types of programs. Wow. Wow, that's <laughs> that's a significantly disproportionate percentage of the population, and uh, so yeah, you certainly need to help them in a way that's familiar with their culture and what they've been brought up with. So wow, very cool. I bet zero uh, percent of the population of the Canadian population knows that, unless well, I guess if you're an Aboriginal, you would. But that's kind of new for me, and I, that's an amazing approach. And you got some great cooperation from the Aboriginal community as well. So when you get cooperation from them and then you have a culturally specific program for them, it must make things uh, much better or lower recidivism. That we can probably talk for days even about how you could get in to young people and prevent them from even getting in the system. But that would be uh, a long discussion. But amazing what you're doing and, and I, I imagine for sure it's got to help with recidivism and getting people back into their culture without being hardened by what they would see in a different facility. No, exactly. And I mean, one of the things that uh, we're going to be pursuing in this coming year, uh, which I'm really excited about, is the uh, is helping to, or is working on uh, the issue of enhancing Indigenous offenders' 
employment skills. Mm. And we're in the early stages of uh, framing some uh, some approaches and some projects where we hope to, again, be working very closely with some of the First Nations communities across the country and having our offenders uh, learn how to build uh, modular homes that in turn can be built right in the First Nations community. So we'll, we'll be addressing the needs of the offenders in terms of giving them employment skills that, uh, that will help them get jobs when they go out and at the same time hoping to address uh, the housing needs that we see in many of the First Nations communities across the country. So I'm quite excited about this uh, initiative. Um, if it all comes together over the, uh, the coming year, we're going, to, uh, we're going to have a positive impact on a lot of lives. Wow, that's a very uh, cool initiative. Not only are you teaching them trades, and in, my, in this day and age, my opinion, trade, trades are more important than college or university. You teach them a trade, but not only when they go to a now, when they go to apply for a job, maybe they've done three, four, five, ten houses, so they have experience. The people they apply to can have pictures of the houses. They could have references from whoever was watching over them and supervising them, and so that would be amazing. Right away when they get out, they have the education and enough training in it uh, to know, you know, for people to know that they're good at what they are applying for. No, exactly. And, and you know, giving back to the community and for, for many of the offenders, uh, you know, they, they, they know that, you know, they've, they've done something wrong and they really do want to find a way of giving back to the community at large. And, you know, I, I can't think of a better way, uh, although they're working on their own skills to help them get a job, but to to, uh, to know that they contributed in a way that is giving a house uh, or uh, creating a house for a family to live in, you, you can't think of a better way to, uh, to give back to a community. Wow, it's a cool variation on uh, what's a habitat for your, uh, humanity. Exactly. Uh, very cool variation. Let's talk about another thing that uh, a topic... Uh, interesting topic mental health it's more in the news it's more acceptable to talk about than uh, it used to be my wife and i were laughing the other day uh, her mother-in-law my mother-in-law her mother's 92 and she has dementia and my wife was saying yeah back in the old days they used to call that hardening of the arteries yeah. because they didn't know much about mental health but now it's more open for people uh, and one of the greatest receptions i get and people come speak to me privately after when i speak is you know if you live in chronic pain every second of every day since you're five you're gonna have some periods of depression and then my wife working criminal defense there's a lot of people with legitimate mental health challenges and yeah what they did is illegal but they have some legitimate mental health problems and then of course your staff like if it, I imagine working in a penitentiary can wear you down mentally after some time so what do you do mental health wise for both the offenders and for your staff as well no it, it, you're right on uh, Tom uh, it, it, both uh, both components are uh, extremely important you know as you pointed out for us uh, the the issue of mental health amongst the uh, the offender population is uh, is a significant uh, concern uh, you know conservative estimates suggest that you know 13 14 15 percent of the male offender population have some mental health problem mm-hmm. and with the women offender population 30 percent plus have some uh, form of mental health problem and of course depending on how you define mental health mm-hmm. needs, uh, the numbers uh, it can easily be uh, double that for, <laughs> for both groups right um, hey don even i have mental health problems from time to time so. you know what i, I think at the end of the day we you know we 
all experience some mental health, uh, you know, mental right. health uh, problems, and our our overall mental resilience, uh, uh, you know, suffers at some point because of you know some significant emotional or traumatic mm-hmm. events. And um, you know, you're absolutely right, Tom. Um, so you know, we've uh, you know, it's kind of interesting when I first uh, when I first started in, in 1978. This is not something that we would have talked about. Uh, we wouldn't mm-hmm. we definitely wouldn't have talked about it uh, as it relates to ourselves as staff members. And it was very rarely talked about in relation to offenders in the system. And, and if it was, it was only the more severe or acute cases, you know, those uh, suffering from uh, schizophrenia or, or even what we call dementia today, mm-hmm. uh, those more severe kinds of uh, cases. And they would have gone to our one of our five regional psychiatric centers across the, uh, the country. But as a result of a, a number of, you know, very serious and tragic uh, uh, incidents uh, over uh, over the last uh, a number of years, we have spent a lot of time and energy investing in uh, uh, tools to do uh, to do uh, mental health screening region of uh, programs, not only for uh, the acute cases, but also for intermediate mental health needs, and looking not only to ensure that we've got uh, program support and uh, clinical support in, in the institutions, but making sure that we've got the right bridging in place as individuals transition back out into the community. And that's always been a concern for us is that even in the early days when we were doing limited work and now that we're more currently doing a lot more work in relation to mental health programs and uh, clinical services uh, is to make sure that we've got those individuals lined up when they go back in the community and they don't regress, unfortunately fall back into a cycle that may lead them into conflict with the law. From a staff perspective, uh, again, you're you're absolutely right. You know, there is the issue of mental health within uh, the workforce is only a conversation that's been out in the open uh, in the last couple of years. You know, when I first started, if you went through a significant traumatic event, uh, you know, if you'd been involved in a, a riot or a hostage taking or a murder in an institution, you know, the uh, what was expected is that uh, you know, as a staff member, that's your job. You're there. You do it. Suck it up and come back to work the next day. Hmm. Not really realizing, you know, the uh, the psychological, mental resilience impact on uh, uh, on staff. So a, a couple of, uh, well, it's almost a couple of years ago now, I pushed the agenda uh, specifically in uh, the Correctional Service of Canada uh, to look at what we should and could be doing along those lines. And we've been working in partnership with the uh, Mental Health Commission with Canada. We've implemented uh, a program now. It's called the Road to Mental Readiness uh, for all our staff. Helping to uh, look at you know yourself as well as your colleagues, and uh, uh, to be able to you know sort of gauge where you sit on the overall mental health continuum on a you know an hourly, daily, weekly, right. uh, monthly basis. And we're just in the process now of uh, expanding that program to include a peer support component, also a component uh, for uh, family members of staff because. You know, a staff member who's been involved in a uh, traumatic incident or, or a situation, uh, you know, occupational stress injury in- incident, as we call it, their their family may not recognize that somebody may be struggling mm-hmm. uh, internally with those things. So we're going to be looking at how we expand the program to make information available to family members, and then also ultimately to uh, to retirees as well, because we have individuals who do 20, 25, 30, 35 years of uh, a service in uh, in corrections and go off and retire and sometimes find they're struggling with things and not realizing that it may be linked to uh, you know an occupational stress 
injury, a mental health injury. Wow. Wow. And, uh, well, you kind of read my mind on the next question I was thinking of because I thought, you know, any mental health challenge of a staff member affects probably their family more than their necessarily their job and so any work you do to help them with that and their family kind of makes the family life a lot uh, better and we you know you don't want strife in family and kids because of what they encounter on a daily basis uh, in their job no exactly and you know what uh, uh, you know in in our world uh, when you get through a day where nothing happens that is an absolute great thing. <laughs> Uh, and uh, but you know there are days when stuff happens and people internalize and deal with that differently. And if you have individuals, uh, you know, family members that work in you know this kind of profession and or other law enforcement professions as well, and if they come home and they're quiet and they're not talking or sharing, it's usually a sign that they're struggling with something. And so you know, having family members helping them to be informed about what to look for and watch for, you know, is is a good. Uh, is a good first uh, step, and because if an individual is coming home and, and struggling, there's no question it's it's going to play out in a negative way in back home on the family front. Right. Now, let's brag about Canada. I speak around the world. I brag on Canada. I call it the greatest country in the world. I've been in hospital 40 times and cost myself and my family the same thing each time. And so happy to pay my taxes because when you've been in that often, you're probably, I'm in the hole a lot. But what an amazing country we live in. And uh, I'm sure even in the corrections industry, Canada is probably viewed very well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I agree with you. As a country, Canada, as far as I'm concerned, ranks up there as the best in the uh, mm-hmm. in the world. I've uh, throughout to my personal and professional career, I've traveled to uh, 159 different countries. And from a uh, you know a day to day life perspective, from a business perspective, a correctional perspective, and every time I come home, similar to you, I'm, I'm just thankful uh, that I live in Canada, I work in Canada, and my family uh, gets to grow up in Canada. You know, it, it, it sometimes, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, even within our organization, there's a lot of room for improvement, and we continually look at how we can do things uh, better, more effectively, more efficiently, and ultimately ensure that we're, you know, supporting the needs of offenders, uh, addressing the needs of victims, ensuring that communities are safe in, in the long run. So we always have, uh, you know, we, there, there's always room for improvement. But having said that, uh, we have a lot of countries that, that are knock on our door and are uh, looking for, for our assistance in terms of, you know, how we do assessments of offenders, how we deliver programs, just even provide overall leadership within a, in a correctional environment. You know, we're currently working with countries like the Bahamas, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, Namibia. Uh, we're going to be doing some work in uh, Sierra Leone and Mozambique. We belong to several international associations of correctional leadership where uh, Canada and specifically the Correctional Service of uh, Canada is seen as a world leader. We have some of the most amazing correctional researchers in the world, you know, published and peer-reviewed, and their work leads to uh, significant change in various countries uh, around the world. Our program uh, developers and uh, facilitators, uh, again, are seen as world-class and called upon to uh, come and uh, provide assistance in, in other jurisdictions. So we have, it's amazing, you sometimes have to leave your country to uh, gain an appreciation as to uh, how well things are going, because it's so easy within your own country for people to, to criticize uh, 
you know, you're not doing this or you're not doing that right. right. But uh, when you step outside of uh, step outside of that world and hear how others view you, you feel uh, you feel good. I mean, the one thing, uh, Tom, I can, I can say quite uh, quite proudly is that every day uh, when I get up in the morning, uh, you know, I read 12 different papers. I read the situation reports from the last 24 hours, and of course, newspapers and situation reports are usually filled with negative uh, news. Negative news. But the one thing that uh, allows me to sort of reposition, recenter myself is knowing the fact that each and every day, 19,000 good news stories are being authored across the country. Mm. We have 19,000 CSC staff who come to work each and every day, committed to doing the the, uh, the most professional job uh, that they uh, that they can, and they all want to author their work in excellence right. and and sign their work in excellence. And uh, uh, so I know there are 19,000 good news stories that uh, that occur. And uh, to be honest, I I really appreciate the, uh, this opportunity to talk to you to be able to share just uh, just a, a little bit off the top of some of the good work that uh, the staff in the Correctional Services of Canada are doing. They do an amazing job, and even though negative news networks always love to share the bad stuff, uh, there's probably 98% good and 2% bad, but you don't know that percentage from the media. And I was thinking, and I tell audiences, I tell my wife, you know, when she complains, and even when I complain, I say that no matter what challenge you go through in life, you are better going through it in Canada than almost any other country in the world. Specifically, I speak about my rheumatoid arthritis, but I imagine Canadian corrections is the exact same thing. If you have to end up in a corrections institution, you are probably much better off in Canada than most of the countries of the world. No, exactly. I mean, you look at, uh, I mean, some of the places that uh, that we've been, and uh, you know, it, uh, uh, they have their challenges, you know, uh, from a, an economic perspective, a social perspective, a political perspective, but I've been in places where plumbing doesn't exist, where food for offenders has to be brought in by family members from the uh, from the outside. Staff members, forget about uniforms, they don't even have uh, uh, shoes or boots to wear. So I've been in I've been in places uh, like that, and you know, even uh, uh, a number of years ago when uh, I was down in uh, Haiti before the earthquake at the uh, the major penitentiary there, and 3,000 offenders crowded in a space that was only built for 300. Mm. And the one thing, the one thing that they needed was something to be able to move the garbage each day that's produced by 3,000 people. Mm. What they had were basically just a stick to push all this garbage. And, uh, so I mean, it sounds it sounds rather strange and bizarre. But I came back. We purchased a dozen or so uh, Canadian snow shovels, if you can imagine, to send to Haiti so that the inmates could have something that they could use to shovel the garbage, but at the same time not use as weapons against anybody. And we sent them uh, these uh, a dozen Canadian snow shovels. And to be honest, you thinking you you would have thought that we had uh, given them a huge pot of gold. Right, right, right. I experienced that in Cambodia. I gave yeah. someone five bucks for doing something for me, and her, her eyes almost popped out of her head. And I was exactly. thinking, like, this is five bucks. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> And then someone told me, well, she probably earns $80 a month working 60 hours a week, and so your five bucks meant a lot. Exactly. Now, one last question, personal sure. one. Nobody, I've never heard parents say, when my Donnie grows up, he's going to be a correctional services person. <laughs> I've rarely heard someone stand 
stand at the top of the class or front and say, when I grow up, I want to be uh, Commissioner of Correctional Service of Canada. Uh, how did this interest or purpose, uh, well, if you spend this much time in it, it's uh, more than an interest, it's a passion and a purpose. How did it first come to you? Uh, were your parents like, uh, well, you know, you could be a lawyer or a doctor or something. Talk about that because it's not uh, often, as I said, that you ever hear people say, well, I'm going to get in the correctional services industry. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it's it, it's kind of interesting. I was, uh, 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 when I left high school, I was, uh, I went into, uh, went into the military and there for a few years and then very quickly there was a, uh, a downsizing occurring. So it was a, a case of sort of last in, first out kind of consideration. Um, so I started looking uh, looking around for what kind of employment was uh, uh, was available. And that time, um, BC, uh, British Columbia uh, Corrections, provincial was hiring and uh, federal corrections was hiring. And in those days it was called the Canadian Penitentiary Service. And so I applied to uh, I applied to uh, both uh, BC Corrections said I was too young and didn't have any life experience. But Federal Corrections said uh, you're exactly the kind of person that we want. And next thing you know, my career in uh, Corrections uh, started back in 1978. And to be honest, I haven't I haven't looked back since then. And uh, I have to be honest, I never actually aspired to uh, uh, to this job at all. Um, I can remember being a, a young correctional officer and uh, sitting in the uh, sitting in the the My extended family. 
Um, you see that day in and day out uh, in uh, uh, in our organization, and um, uh, not only are they a team, like I say, they are uh, they truly are a family. Right, and you need that family because the outside world really doesn't really have an honest perception of what their job and life is like. If you say, well, I'm a software engineer, or I manufacture this or that, you know, like, okay, they picture that in their head, but when you say, I work for Crash Channel Services, they're probably thinking something that they saw recently on TV or something different than what the reality is. Yeah, people either go to one of two conversations. Uh, they either want to know about some uh, name of an offender that's been in the media quite a bit, and they want to know, like, well, do you know uh, mm. uh, inmate so-and-so or inmate uh, this mm. or that, or they just go quiet. Right, right. <laughs> they, they don't they go walk away. away. Exactly. I gotta go get a drink. I'll see you, sir. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was your name again? All right, talk to you later. All right. But then you could also be uh, like my wife. Like, I love to let her loose at a party. Tell them the story about this person and the thing that they did. And, you know, she has some hilarious stories about people that deserve to be in prison because they're just too dumb. Uh, but, you know, I can just get her started. Everybody's like, oh, wow. So I'm sure you have a lot of funny stories as well where you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe someone actually did that. No, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, you know, you uh, you see things uh, you see things happen, and you can't believe that human behavior is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, amazing talking to you, Don. I'm glad to get all these topics out, uh, even in correctional service. The main focus, the main purpose is positivity, is getting people out, getting people working and with skills and trades, getting people so they don't come back and see you, um, and you've been able to segment it for different cultural things, uh, the aboriginals or women and mental health, and then, of course, Canada is amazing country and we're viewed well internationally and so nice to have all those things out for the public to hear uh, to uh, negate a lot of the negative news networks of the uh, world that might tell you otherwise. Well thank you Tom, it's absolutely a, a pleasure uh, uh, talking to you and, and uh, sharing the great work that the staff of the Correctional Service Canada do. Right and thank all 19,000 of them for me, uh, amazing job, we live in a great country, very secure. Uh, and a lot of that is because of the work they do. Most definitely. I'll definitely pass on your thanks. Amazing. Have a great day, Don. Thanks so Take much. Care, Tom. Bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.